Well, good morning, everybody. All right, again, thanks for joining us, whether you're here in person or joining us online. In case you're coming in online a little bit late and you're like, why is it all echoey in the live stream sound? Or why does the, you know, the, the things look differently? Uh, the, we had big storms come rolling through. We got here, we had internet, massive thunder and lightning, and all of a sudden people came running out of the basement with these panicked looks on their faces going, we have no Wi-Fi, we have no Wi-Fi, what are we going to do? And uh, what we landed on is we're going to record the service and push that up. And right now we're literally live streaming it on my telephone. And so if you're watching this after the fact, they're like, what's with the extension cord and the table in the middle of the room? That's what's with the extension cord and the table in the middle of the room. We're just, we're making lemonade. So um, <laughs> yeah, favorite food truck experience, uh, Rolling Stoves has a... Uh, Bacon cheeseburger with peanut butter, pickles, and honey. It sounded disgusting, but I was like, I got to try this. It was amazing. I spent about six months trying to like, make it at home myself. I just couldn't duplicate it. So there you go. Um, so let, let's pray, and uh, we'll dive into things for today. Father, uh, just as we're... <laughs> trying to make things work in some unusual circumstances, things that are less than ideal. Would you please be with us this morning and speak to us, just speak your truth to us. Father, I want to pray for the Eidness family as they are mourning uh, the loss of Gudrun as... Um, they're concerned about having been exposed to COVID and uh, just their health as a family. Father, please be with them. Please comfort them. Please have your hand a healing and protection on their health and on their bodies. Father, again, we pray that you would meet us. And as things are different and it, it feels a little bit distracting, just pray you'd strip all that away. And that we would be open to you, that we would hear your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're, we're starting a brand new series today entitled, Say What? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's try that again. Everybody say what? That's, that's very good, yeah. So th there's certain, certain things that we say, you know, like say what, or come again, or if you're old school, what you talking about, Willis? Uh-huh, yeah, or if you're more refined, you might say, <clears throat> I beg your pardon. Um, there's just phrases that we use when somebody says something or somebody does something and you, you just don't understand. You just can't make sense of it. You, 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 you just go, what is going on here, right? And sometimes we have that experience with the Bible. That's what this series is all about. Just this idea that there are certain narratives, certain stories that we will read about in the Bible, and you get done reading that story and you find yourself thinking, what just happened here? Like, what, what is this all about? I don't understand what, what this means, period, or what it means for my life. And, and, and it's fair sometimes when we go to the Bible to have that experience. But here's the thing. Those stories that we, we read in the Bible, those narratives that we read, even the confusing ones, they're there for more than, than just confusion. They're there for, for more than just something bizarre in the midst of, of some of the directive things that we read. 
Listen to what the Bible says about itself. It says, for everything that was written in the past, it's referring to those crazy stories that we read, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. See, the, the stories that we read in the Bible, even the ones that seem bizarre to us, they're, they're there to help us understand how life works and to empower us in the midst of that and to give us hope in the midst of that. So how, how, do, you, how do you get that kind of result with some of the crazy stories that you read about in the Bible? Well, part of the trick to this is learning to dig beneath Things like history and culture and language and context. Factors that make some of the stories that we read in the Bible seem bizarre to us. But factors, if you can dig beneath that kind of stuff, more often than not, you will find meaning and relevance and hope even in the midst of those stories. And so what we're going to do in this series is each week we're going to take one story from the Bible, one that, that can that just on the surface seems kind of crazy, and we're only going to spend four weeks in this series, which, which means that this is a series we could come back to again and again and again, because I don't know about you, but I've found more than just four stories in the Bible that seem kind of crazy to me, right? So we're, we're going to take, take four. Each week we're going to take one of them, and we're going to just have some fun with some of the crazy on the surface. And then we're going to try and dig beneath some of those elements that make that story seem strange to us and difficult to understand and see if we can find some meaning in the midst of it all. Now, this week as we get started, we're going to start with a story from Jesus. And I won't speak for you, but I know for me, more than, more than I'd like to admit, Jesus will make me say, say what? Like, I, I will read things that Jesus said where I will read things that Jesus did. And as a professional Christian, as a pastor, I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing? What does that mean? How am I supposed to apply that to my life? Anybody besides me have that experience with Jesus? Thank you for not leaving me hanging up here, all right? Give you an example of what I'm talking about. Picking up in Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 21. We read, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, as the story begins, you find a mother in, in the worst kind of situation a parent could be in. Just desperate, just powerless. Her child is possessed by a demon. Now, th th this idea of children and demon possession, this, this isn't something, I mean, I guess we still talk about this today. You know, usually we use this term figuratively today when our child is out of control, all right? Um, for example, I remember when I was a kid, one of my siblings, who we will allow to remain nameless, all right, um, protect their identity. There's only three of them, though. You could figure it out. But one of my siblings, um, they're about three years old, and I don't know why, but they got it in their head. The right place to go, number two, was somewhere outside. Yeah, 
And so when that sibling would, you know, hadn't been heard from for a minute or hadn't been seen for a minute, the family would panic because you didn't know where they were or God help us what they were doing, right? And so I remember this one particular day, a sibling disappears. I haven't, I haven't seen the sibling for a while. I haven't heard from the sibling for a while. My mother realizes this, and you see the panic begin to build, and she's searching the house. She's searching upstairs. She's searching in the basement. Cannot find the sibling anywhere. She's out in the backyard. Sibling isn't out in the backyard. All the while, the, the further this search goes, the more my mother begins to panic. It's just, you know, froth at the mouth kind of panic. She goes running out the front door, and sure enough, there is my younger sibling, two doors down on the front lawn in broad daylight building a log cabin if you would right my mother goes tearing down the street grabs this child by the scruff of the neck pants still down around the ankles doing the Kmart shuffle all the way home and she is screaming what is wrong with you are you demon possessed or something right we use this term with our kids today, but we, we, this, we, this is figurative. For the mother in this story, this is real. The, the dark spiritual forces are in control of her daughter's life. And she is desperate. She feels powerless. Like, I can remember when our daughter, Beck, was maybe three, four years old. She wakes up in the middle of the night, and she's convinced that, that, that she saw a dead woman looking out at her from her closet. Just completely came unglued emotionally, could not be consoled. Now, I, I don't know, is Becca dreaming? I don't know. Is, is Becca's imagination, you know, just running wild? There's something more dark and sinister at work in her life. But just the idea that that could be the case. As a parent, just completely overwhelmed me, left me feeling completely powerless. This is where that mother is at. And she comes to Jesus pleading with him to do something for her little girl, to help her child. Now, in that kind of situation, how would you expect Jesus to respond? As a parent yourself, what would you hope Jesus would do? Well, I'll warn you, at least at first, it isn't what you'd hope or expect. We're told in Mark's account that, that this woman comes to Jesus, that she's face down on the floor, begging him to help her child, and that Jesus did not answer her a word here's this woman pleading with him to do something for her child she is powerless she is out of control she is desperate and when this woman begs Matthew tells us that Jesus did not answer her a word gives her the silent treatment all but ignores her. Which I don't know about you, but for me, that's kind of disturbing. And if you think that's disturbing, buckle up, because it's going to get worse. 
It starts with the disciples. Jesus is ignoring this woman, doesn't say a word to her. The disciples finally pipe up. And they urge Jesus to send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus, she won't shut up. Would you tell her just to get lost? Now, at this point, I'm desperate for Jesus to say something as I'm reading this. And, and, and Jesus is about to answer her. And as Jesus gets ready to speak, I think, okay, here we go. Finally, Jesus is going to say something to offer some kind of hope, to express some kind of empathy, to, to, uh, you know, to, to give her some kind of comfort. But when Jesus speaks, he says to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, I read that and I find myself thinking, okay, wait a minute, Jesus. It sounds like you're saying you're here to help some people and not others. Sounds like you're saying you're here to help some races and not others. Sounds like you're saying you're going to help people if they're Jewish, but you're not if they're not. And no disrespect, Jesus, but if that's what you're saying, that sounds kind of bigoted, sounds kind of prejudiced. I don't know if you got the memo or not, Jesus, but you're not supposed to be a prejudiced bigot. But here's Jesus going, hey, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, this woman, she responds. She says, Lord, help me. I know I'm not an Israelite, but I'm a person. Can't you do something for me? To which Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I read that and I'm like, okay, Jesus, hang on. Did you just call this woman a dog? Jesus, did you just equate helping her with tossing food to animals? What are you doing, Jesus? And that's what this woman seems to understand Jesus to be saying. Like, that's how this woman takes it. Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And this woman says, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is, because even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You want to call me a dog, Jesus, fine, but if dogs eat the food off the table all the time, Jesus. Countless children from generations past, the, the only reason they ever cleared their plates is because a dog was present in the room. Uh-huh. You've been there, right? Like, like. Another one of my siblings will allow them to remain nameless. I, I, better than 50% of the time, the only reason their plate was ever clear because that dog was sitting under the table, right? She's like, no, 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 you can call me if you dog, dog if you want, but don't give me this stuff that dogs don't eat the food off the table. They eat the food off the table all the time. And then finally, Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. And I'm thinking, finally, 
Finally, Jesus says something like I'd expect Jesus to say. Finally, Jesus does something like I'd expect Jesus to do. But this woman has to like, completely outmaneuver him verbally to get him to do that. I mean, it's a crazy story. It leaves me thinking, what is happening here? What is Jesus doing? And what does any of this mean? What's it mean to my life? So what I want to do is let's start digging. Let's, let's dig under some things like geography and context and, and, and history and see if we can get to the bottom of this. Well, let's start with where we are. We're told that they're in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Basically what that means is they are outside of the geographic borders of Israel. And if, and if you dig a little bit under the context here, you, you'll discover they're there for a reason. See, we're, we're, we're very close to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus is heading for the cross, and he knows it. He knows his crucifixion is right around the corner. And so Jesus also knows his disciples aren't ready. They're not ready for him to leave. They, they are not ready for the job that he's going to leave them with. And so at this point, Jesus has taken himself and the disciples out of Israel, out of the place where everybody knows him, out of the place where the crowds won't let him be, out of the place where he's engaged in ministry day in, day out. And he steps out of the geographic borders of Israel, and he goes on this tour of non-Jewish you know, lands to try and get alone with his disciples, to try and spend some time with them to get them ready for what's coming because they're not ready for it. And, and in fact, we're, we're told elsewhere in Mark's version of this, that Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there. He's literally trying to keep his presence a secret so that he can get along with the disciples and get them ready for what's coming. Now, try as he might to keep this a secret, this woman figures out that he's there, she figures out who he is, and she's coming. And, and just some of the crazy that we see unfolds. She, she's, again, face down on the floor, begging Jesus for help. Now, do you remember? She's begging for help. What did the disciples ask Jesus to do again? Send her away. Here, here's this woman just pitiful in her desperation for her child. Some of these disciples are probably parents themselves. And they're like, send her away. Now, why would they be so heartless towards this woman? I think we get a clue in something else that Matthew tells us about her. He says, she was a Canaanite woman from that vicinity. That means this is a non-Jewish person from a non-Jewish area. An area that incidentally, you dig under some history, an, an area that the Jews had been given by God, had been commanded by God to, to, to run the original inhabitants out of, and that the Jews failed to do so with. And those original inhabitants, the Canaanites, throughout their history as a people, they were forever a source of frustration and temptation to the Jewish people. In fact, you, you, can, you can read your history. As the Jews get involved in the Canaanite religion, that's what leads to their downfall as a nation. 
That's what leads to them being exiled to other countries. That's what leads to Israel forever after being occupied by foreign armies. See, when the disciples see this Canaanite, they don't see a desperate mother. They, They don't see a woman in need. They just see one of those people. One of those godless Canaanites. They see a reminder of their failure as a nation. People that they have struggled with for generations on end. When the disciples see this Canaanite woman, they can't see past her pigmentation to see the person that lies beneath it. They can't see past the pigmentation and see the person underneath it. Something incredibly ugly is happening inside of them. But here's what we need to understand. Anytime, anytime anyone, anytime anyone decides this is who an individual is based on their experience with a group of people like that individual, something ugly happens inside of us. Anytime anyone allows their heart to grow cold to the pain and the frustration and the fear that another person is experiencing simply because we disagree with that person on their narrative for how life works, something ugly happens inside of us. Anytime anyone fails to extend to another person inherent dignity and value and worth simply because that other person bears the image of God. Anytime we fail to do that, something incredibly ugly happens inside of us. All of that ugly, it's happening inside of the disciples. Now, they can dress it up nicely. On the outside, they can say, well, you know, we got this work we're trying to do with Jesus and this is really important and and she keeps interrupting us and she needs to make an appointment like anybody else. We can dress it up nice on the outside and make it look good, but on the inside, that's what's happening with the disciples here. And I would argue the minute this woman starts begging Jesus for help and this ugly starts rising up inside of the disciples, Jesus knows it. He can sense it. And he wants to help his disciples see it in themselves. And so when Jesus ignores this woman, Jesus is simply living out on the outside what's going on in his disciples on the inside. As as they are thinking, hey, as a Canaanite, you don't deserve the time of day from us, let alone from Jesus. As he doesn't answer her a word, he's showing them what they're thinking. And when Jesus says to this woman, it's not, hey, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus is verbalizing out loud what his disciples are saying in their minds, but they're too polite to say out loud. 
that, that, that as a Canaanite, you're less human than me. As a Canaanite, I'm justified in ignoring your pain and suffering. See, see Jesus, he, in his responses, I would argue Jesus is responding to his disciples every bit as much, if not more, than he's responding to that woman. He's trying to get them to see how ugly what is going on inside of them is. See, there's something different when you see somebody do something or when you hear somebody say something. When you observe it, there's something different than about having it it, it just be you doing that or you thinking that or you saying that. Like our kids are so good for this, right? As a parent, have you you ever thought something or said something or did something and you you justified it, you minimized it, you thought, "Ah, I'm okay in doing this. And then you watched your child do that thing or you heard your child repeat that thing and you thought, that was ugly, I can't do that anymore, I can't say that anymore. I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. That in his response, Jesus is holding up a mirror for his disciples to look into. He's going, guys, look at your reflection here. Look at what's going on inside of you. Look at how ugly this has become. Can't you see what's in your heart right now? This doesn't reflect the heart of God. See, see, God's heart says things like, the Lord doesn't look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Or God's heart says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Or God's heart will say, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look on the inside. As Jesus responds in a way that on the surface just seems so bizarre, I would argue you start peeling back history and geography and and context, and all of a sudden you're like, "This, this begins to make a little bit more sense. Jesus is doing everything he can to help his disciples see on the outside how ugly things have become for them on the inside. Now, what does this story mean for us today? It can mean a few things. Why was it written down for us? Let me give you a couple reasons why I think this story is in our Bibles for us today. One is, I think this story is meant to hold up a mirror for me and for you. That Jesus would hold up that mirror for us and go, hey, do you see anything ugly in here? That Jesus would have me read the story and, and just ask myself, do I ever make judgment calls about a person because of the color of their skin rather than the content of their character? Do I ever find myself thinking, well, that's just how black people are. That's just how white people are. 
That's just how, how Hispanic people are. That's just how Latino people are. That's just how Middle Eastern people are. See, the, the, the minute I allow myself to go there, there's something ugly happening inside of me. My, the minute I go there, my heart fails to reflect God's heart. Or, or do I ever let my heart grow cold to the genuine pain and fear and frustration that, that I'm, I can see people are having? Simply because I disagree with them about the complex issues of things like life and race and economics and immigration and more. The minute I do that, something ugly happens inside of me. God's heart working in me is a heart that wants to hear and understand. God's heart, if if my heart's going to reflect God's heart, again, I'm going to be sympathetic. When you hurt, I hurt. My heart is going to reflect God's heart. I'm going to love you. I'm going to treat you like a sibling. If my heart's going to reflect God's heart, I'm going to be tender-hearted. There's going to be compassion expressed from me to you. I'm going to be humble. The, the, the minute I sacrifice virtues like those simply for the sake of being right, My heart fails to reflect God's heart. Or Jesus would hold up this mirror and go, hey, is there anywhere where you fail to show another person dignity, value, and worth, and you demand a reason for those things other than they bear the image of God? The minute I expect somebody to do something beyond bearing the image of God in order to receive dignity, value, and worth from me, something ugly happens inside of me. And my heart fails to reflect God's heart. I would argue this story is here because Jesus wants me to look in the mirror as well. And I would argue this story is here because Jesus wants me to do something. He wants us to do something. And, And by do something, I mean do something that will actually make a difference Jesus deals with issues like prejudice and, and, and bigotry and race in this passage here. Jesus wants us to do something that will actually make a difference. In our culture today, in, in the midst of what's going on, you know, like, hey, get out there and rock a t-shirt and get, get some cool logo on your mask and post something on social media and, you know, get the right kind of ball cap. And I'm not mad at you if you're doing any of those things. But I will say to you, those things rarely, if ever, make a difference. They rarely, if ever, change things. As Jesus, as Jesus works to change things, Jesus works to change hearts and address disparities. You see, both of those things happen as he interacts with this woman and he deals with issues surrounding race and bigotry and prejudice. He works to change hearts and address disparities. He starts with his disciples. He can see their hearts are sick. And he intentionally takes action designed to try and and bring some kind of health to bear on their hearts again. This story is here 
so that we would do something that makes a difference, so that we would do something that would help change hearts. And, and I would suggest to you, start with your heart. I need to start with mine. You need to start with yours. Now, th- there are probably a host of things that we could do that will help our hearts become healthier. I'll suggest a few. First one, be introspective. Accept Jesus' challenge to look into the mirror. To, to look at your life. I need to look at my life and again just go, okay, like, where am I deciding this is who a person is simply because they're part of that people group? Or where am I letting my heart grow cold to the, to the pain and frustration and the fear that somebody else is experiencing because I don't agree with them about certain issues in life? Or where, where do I feel justified is treating somebody poorly? Where have I failed to give them the dignity and value and respect that they deserve simply because they bear the image of God? When I'm introspective, if I see any of that, I need to repent. I need to confess that is sin to God. I need to ask him to change who I am. Or if I want my heart to grow healthier, let me suggest to you that expose yourself to educational opportunities surrounding the issues of race. In October, we're going to do a new growth group here. It's called The Color of Compromise. We're going to launch it in October. I have no idea what things are going to look like in, in Michigan in October. Chances are, pretty good chances, we're still going to be doing some social distancing at that time. There's going to be limited capacity for that group. So sign up now, sign up early, get a hold of Bill Keith. He's the guy, all right? Let me tell you some things about this group. All right? I've gone through the material myself. Overall, I'd say the material is excellent. I'll warn you on two points, though. Some of the material is incredibly difficult to hear. It's good to hear, but it's hard to hear. Some of the material, you're not going to agree with. And that's okay. I'll be honest. Some of the material, I disagreed with. On some points, I thought the author did an amazing job and was spot on. And on some points, I thought the author was wrong. That's okay. It's okay to be exposed to material that you don't necessarily agree with. It's okay to have your positions challenged and to have to think through why it is you believe what you believe and why it is you think the way you think. But I'd encourage you, pick up a book, get into a growth group, expose yourself to information on this. And then, and then I would encourage you, invest in a relationship. Invest in a relationship with somebody who doesn't look like you. This is something that I've been doing since everything kind of broke and just kind of the wheels came off the bus in our culture surrounding race. I have a friend, Pastor Samil. Pastor Samil is the the pastor at City Covenant Church in Detroit, in Brightmore. And and I've had a relationship with Samil for years, but when everything kind of tore loose, I thought, you know what? We partner with City Covenant. I need to invest in this relationship more closely right now. And so... A couple times now, Samil and I have gotten together, and our goal is just to get together together once a month and just have lunch, and just to sit and talk, and invest in relationship, and gotten together, I've been like, hey, talk to me, share with me your perspective on everything that's going down. How are you feeling? How is this impacting you? He's asking me the same kind of questions. 
We're, we're, I'm, I'm learning about him and his family and his church and what they're doing. And he's learning about me and my family and our church and what we're doing here. We're dreaming together about how our churches could continue to partner more. The relationship has been good for me. It's been good for my heart. It's, it's, it's hard to, it's harder to have some of that ugly live inside of you when you have somebody who you're in relationship with. It just, it changes the dynamic. I'd encourage you, invest in some relationship. So, so Jesus, he, he, he worked to change hearts. Then I would argue Jesus, he worked to address the disparities. Now, in this instance, the, the disparities for Jesus and this woman were spiritual. He, he has advantages spiritually that she does not have. And, and Jesus works to change those disparities. Jesus does not feel guilty that he has advantages that this woman doesn't have. And here's why. Guilt is not a strategy for change. Jesus is intent on changing something, and he does that by leveraging the advantages that he has to use them for this woman's benefit. As, I, as I've had lunch with Samil, it's been, been neat to learn how he has structured the ministry and mission portion of City Covenant Church. He set up their entire ministry and mission to try and address the disparities that he sees just right in front of his eyes in undeniable ways in the Brightmore community of Detroit. So he's going after things like um, educational disparities, uh, you know, nutrition, access to adequate nutrition, access to adequate health care, access to opportunities for advancement. If, if Jesus wants us to make a difference, can I challenge you? Make a difference in areas like that. For example, when the school year starts, and again, I'm not exactly sure how this is going to look like this September, but we've had a, a consistent partnership with City Covenant Church, where starting in the fall, all school year long, we go down there and we tutor folks, we tutor kids at City Covenant Church. The folks who are doing that are doing something to make a difference in addressing the disparity when it comes to educational opportunities. You want to make a difference? Fill out your connection card. Tell us you'd be willing to, 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 to um, tutor students. We will help you make that connection. Or another great opportunity, Covenant Community Care. Covenant Community Care provides low-cost or free medical care to people who are uninsured. Their website is right on the screen behind me. You can volunteer with them. You do not have to be a medical professional, but they would like that if you were. You can volunteer and you can make access to adequate health care a reality. Or again, you can partner with us in City Covenant. If you've been paying attention to your bulletin, you've seen Lynn Wozniak's been going down there on a regular basis. City Covenant feeds people in their community four days a week. They're trying to make adequate nutrition available to that community. It's one of the disparities that exists between a community like ours in Farmington Hills and a community like theirs in Brightmore of Detroit. Lynn's email address is up there. You can email Lynn just to mess with her, or if you want to make a difference, all right, you can email Lynn and she'll talk to you about what you can do to be part of helping provide those meals. Or Samil and I have been dreaming, all right? This is, this is one, we don't even have something for this yet, but we've just been dreaming. What could we do 
in, in, in partnership between his church and our church to help make opportunities for advancement available to people in his community. And one of the dreams that we have is to take people who are business-minded, people who own their own business, who run their own business here in our church, who would be willing to partner with and mentor young entrepreneurs at City Covenant. If If you're here today, if you're watching online, and you run your own business, I would love to talk to you about this. My email address is there. You can email me and mess with me, or you can email me and say, hey, I'd be willing to mentor somebody. I'd love to have that conversation with you and, and, and Samil and just dream about what that could look like. He's got young entrepreneurs. He can't mentor them all and would love to get them connected with somebody else who could. Or I'd lo- another thing that Samil and I have dreamt about is microloans. Oftentimes, he's got a young entrepreneur. They've got a business plan. It could work and the difference between that plan being a dream and a reality is somewhere between $1,000 and $1,500. If you'd be willing to invest with me and Samil in a microloan program, again, email me. I would love to talk to you about what that could look like. Because again, I don't want to just, I don't want to post some inflammatory, simplified version of something that's way more complex on social media. That doesn't address the disparities. I want to just wear a t-shirt that doesn't address the disparities. I want to do something that makes a difference about the disparities that exist in our world today between different communities. I, I think one of the reasons this story is here is so that we would be pushed to do the same. So that's week one of Say What? All right? Crazy story. You start digging, all of a sudden there's all kinds of things for our lives today. I hope you'll join us in the weeks to come. We're going to dig through three more stories. We're going to have a lot of fun as we do it and hopefully find some truth along the way. Would you pray with me? Father, just today, as we consider Jesus and a story that, that on the surface just seems so bizarre, Father, help us to see beyond the history, beyond the context, beyond the culture, beyond the geography, to your truth for our lives. Father, I pray that you would help every one of us, whether we are black or white or Asian or Latino or from the Middle East or from someplace I didn't even rattle off yet, Help us to look in the mirror that Jesus is holding up and ask ourselves, do I see any of that there in me? Father, help us be people in the ways that we discussed or or, or in other ones who decide to take action. We can't go back. We cannot change the past. But we determine the direction of the future and communities great and small. Help us to be people who take action that makes a difference for good. Help us 
as the church to lead in this in our culture in a way that communicates love rather than hate, that communicates grace rather than rage, that brings healing instead of continued wounds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.